Hello, and welcome to the Jubilee Church Podcast. Jubilee Church exists to help all people know God, find family, discover purpose, and make a difference. If you would like to learn more or connect with us, please visit our website at jubileestl.org. Well, good morning, Jubilee. It is so good to be here with you guys. And uh, I just have to say, my wife is also here, Mackenzie. I'm going to have you stand up. Just say hi. If you've not met her, she's incredible. And uh, I'm just so blessed to be married to her and uh, and glad she's here with me. And I have to say to you guys, uh, I have been so blessed over the years by Jubilee Church and uh, by your leaders, by your family. And if you're a part of this church, it is just, I, I don't know if you know this being on the inside, but me from the outside, this is such an incredible family. And, uh, and this church has blessed so many people and I am one of the benefactors to that. And so I just want to commend you guys and let you guys know you're a part of an incredible church. And if you're new here and you're like, is this a church I should, you know, go deeper into? I cannot recommend any higher uh, that you become a part of this church. It's just such a blessing. And I think uh, at the end of the day, that's, that's what church is meant to be. It's meant to be uh, a family together. Uh, and we have this beautiful family confluence, which isn't just a church family. It's a wider church family. And so like Brian said, I'm from uh, Living Hope Church St. Joe. And I uh, just love, love that church, and I'm so glad to be here. Uh, so this morning, uh, I'm going to be sharing, but before I get into uh, the scripture, I want to just share a story with you. I, uh, I have three kids that I love dearly, and uh, so I'm a father, and, uh, and uh, my oldest is eight. We got a six-year-old, an almost six-year-old. Her birthday's coming up. Uh, and then we have a three-year-old boy. We had two girls, and then God found it humorous to give us a little boy that's like a wild animal, very different in his nature. And very recently, he has decided that, uh, so I make, we, we, we have a coffee maker that we're not like super sophisticated people, so I like set it up the day before, you know, and like, and he has, he has come to this habit to where he like knows I'm going to the kitchen to, to get the coffee set up for the next day, and I just hear the little pitter-patter, like it's like he's heavy, he's dense, it's like a wild animal coming in, and I just hear him thumping into the, the kitchen, and, and he's like, Dad, I help you? Dad, I help you? And I'm like, Yeah. Come on. And I remember the first time he asked me, I was like, oh no. Like he's here, he's asking to help. I don't know if you know this, three-year-olds do not make great baristas. And you'll never go to a Starbucks and find like a three-year-old manning, you know, the espresso machine. And if you do, please call the authorities. Uh, and so he, he's, and he just wants to help. And I'm just like, and I, but I, I, here's the thing, I want him there. I want him there with me. And, and I've, I've learned this having kids. Like it costs me something to have him there because it's going to go slower and he's going to mess stuff up because he's three. And so he's like, dad, can I, every step, dad, can I help? Dad, can I help? And, uh, and so we got a coffee grinder, right? This is whole being coffee, which is, I guess, a little bit fancy. And, uh, and so I put the, you know, the whole, he wants to help me pour it. And it's like, spill some beans. And so there's whole beans now on the counter, you know, and, and, uh, and they get wet. And I'm like, I'm not putting those in the grinder. It's going to get clumpy. And, you know, it's like, he wants to put the lid and then, and we go to grind it. And he like is so eager to push the button. He's trying to push it before the lid's on all the way. And, and we get it grinded. And then he tries to take the lid off when I'm not looking. And, and then so, you know, coffee grounds fall out and it's just this messy Situation. He wants to help, and he's not really helping, but you know, it's just, it's funny because as I'm doing this, I just feel like God is saying to me, Hey, like, this is us, and you are the three year old. And I just want to remind you that you're not very good at any of this. But at the same time, I want you to know 
That's not what matters. Making coffee in this moment, that's not what's important. I'll make coffee a million times in my life, and I can teach him to make coffee a million times in his life. But what matters is that we're together and that he's learning. It does not matter how good you are. It doesn't matter what you are doing. It doesn't matter that you're totally screwing this up. I love you, and I'm so glad you're here with me. And it's this beautiful moment of fatherhood. And the reality of this is it's the relationship that matters. It's the love that matters. And I just was reminded, and I'm thinking about this, just God saying, the love you have for your son, I, you're a sinner, man. You're a broken person, and you love your son with this love that is tangible. You guys can feel that. And God just said to me, my love is like that, but it's perfect. It's infinite. It's endless. It's boundless. And, and I just, I feel like this is this, I just want to share that story before I share this scripture, because today we're going to talk about God as a father. Uh, if you've got a Bible with you, you can open it up to Galatians 4. Uh, scripture is going to come up on the screen behind us here. This is Galatians 4, uh, verses 1 through 7. And uh, I'm going to be reading from the ESV Bible here this morning. Uh, so this is what it says. It says, I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything. But he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, we were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. I think there's, a, there's another passage just before this. This is Galatians 3. It's just literally the preceding section before, and it's verses 23 through 26. And it just, it gives a similar analogy. It's also going to come up on the screen. And I think it's helpful to read together. Uh, and it says, uh, it says this. It says, now before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons and daughters, I want to include that, of God through faith, through faith. Right, so ultimately, this is what these passages are saying to us. And, and the idea here, it's not complex, it's, it's very simple. Before Christ came into history. Before Christ came into the lives of the Galatians, they all bowed down to some kind of guardian, some kind of Lord. And these guardians, these lords, they, they're, they're, these, these caretakers, they're described as enslaving them and holding them captive. These are the language, this is the language that Paul uses to describe these kinds of guardians. They ruled them and they were ultimately like hired hands paid to do a job. They're not fully invested. They're, they're mercenary about what they're doing. They're not heavily invested. Uh, it's cold. It, it's, it's distance. These are not fathers and mothers. These are paid staff, impersonal connection, temporary connection, cold and commercial in nature. And, and we might ask ourselves, well, what are these guardians? Well, Paul, he specifically mentions two things. One of the guardians was the law. And this is interesting, actually, because I'm talking about the quality of these guardians is not high. And yet we know the law is good. The Bible says this. It says the Old Testament law, it was, it was good. And, and, and here Paul says it was like a guardian. It was meant to actually protect the Jewish people. It was meant to guide them and lead them and help them. But ultimately it ended up enslaving them. And he mentions another guardian here. He calls it the elementary principles of the world. And you might be like, what in the world? 
is that. And, uh, and, and what that is, is I, I want to say like it's sort of this, the base like kind of logical way of the world, right? And you're, you're familiar with this. Like there are many things in our world. Like one of the examples today is this, is that one of the leading ethics in our culture is this. If you want to do something and it does not hurt someone else, you're free to do that. Right? That's an elementary principle of the world. It's logical. It makes sense to people. But typically, these kinds of things, they make sense in like really short windows of time. Played out through a long life of you just choosing yourself over and over again will harden your heart, will hurt connections and relationships around you. And the, and, but these elemental principles, these are things that enslave us, right? These are not good things. But maybe at a short glance, they, they make sense to us. And so Paul is talking about these two kinds of ways of life. Right? For the Jewish people, they had the law in the Old Testament that was supposed to guide them and shepherd them and lead them and protect them and be good, but ultimately ended up enslaving them. And for the Galatians, who were mostly Gentiles, they would have been very familiar with sort of these elementary principles of the world, these ideas that seem to make sense, but ultimately lead to uh, enslavement as well. And, uh, and this, this, this is just important for us to recognize. Actually, Galatians spends time, very much time, Paul spends very much time talking about these two ideas. The law, it's a big idea in Galatians. And then later on in the book of Galatians, he starts talking about the desires of the flesh and like what it means if, you know, if we submit to the flesh versus we submit to the spirit in Galatians 5. It's, it's famous, right? You know, and, um, and he's, he's talking about these things. And the thing about this, this passage is uh, these categories, they're also not mutually exclusive, right? You don't just have to be a person who bows to the law. You've met people like this. It's like, if I just do the right things, I'll be accepted. I'll be loved. A lot of times that's how we think about God. If I just do the right things, I'll be accepted. I'll be loved. I'll be cared for. Right? And then we also, we, we can experience this. We, we can experience this other thing where it's like, you know what? I just want to do, I just want to do me. I just, I'm not hurting anybody. Can't I just, isn't this permissible? It just makes sense to me. And we've all felt these things. And these things aren't mutually exclusive. And in fact, I think in our culture, we have kind of come to this conclusion of using a combo of both of these things. That we, we come up with some set of rules and regulations that we're like, if I follow these things, I'm righteous and I've now earned the right to do what I want. Right? And we think that way. It's a very common way of thinking. But Paul is condemning both of these thoughts, the, the law and the way of the world. He's saying, hey, these are cold. These are impersonal. These are not mothers and fathers. They're not invested in you. They don't care about you. These are distant, you know, these are inanimate things, right? The culture might approve what you're doing, but the culture isn't going to pay a cost to love you. It's not going to lay its life down. It's not going to sacrifice for you, and so Paul contrasts this idea of these paid sort of mercenary kinds of guardians that, that enslave us. He contrasts this idea with this radical image of adoption. We go from far off. He, he talks about us, us, us being uh, orphans, you know. Uh, and, and the Bible basically, it, t- it talks about us being, uh, going from orphans to full-fledged sons or daughters to a father. And, and I, it's, I think this is an easy thing. I think, I think the concept of adoption, it's easy for us to overlook right? It's it's just, we hear this word, maybe you hear this about your faith, like you've been adopted in under God. I think we just don't, we don't put enough weight on this. But this idea of adoption, it's radical and it's beautiful. And ultimately adoption is a picture of the gospel, going from far off, orphaned from God, to becoming true sons and daughters of God in the Father through faith in Jesus Christ. And I think, again, this is like you are this, our, our pastor says, you, in you, God has put the spirit of God crying out, Abba, Father. 
One of the things that's really radical about Jesus, we miss, or we, we overlook. Again, we take it for granted. We, most of us, many of us, have grown up, we've grown up in America, we've grown up in the West, where Christianity is just sort of baked into an underlying culture. There's sort of this Christian flavor that's baked into Western culture. So we take some things for granted. And one of those things is that we, we fail to realize how offensive it was in Jesus' day when he prayed by calling God his Father. This is highly offensive. Did you know that? Like, I, you may not know this, that actually it offended the Pharisees to imply the sort of intimacy that Jesus is implying when he says, Father. You know? And how does he teach us to pray? He teaches us to pray by saying, Our Father in heaven. Right? This is an example of the Spirit of Christ in us crying, Abba, Father. He even teaches us to pray. He even teaches us to pray by calling God our Father. Right? And like I said, this may surprise you, but to use personal language like that with God was not common in Jesus' day. It was highly offensive to many around him. We just take for granted, like, God's a father. We just assume, you know, he's, he's, he's this is, but this, is, this was a radical idea. It's one of the big, clear, wonderful revelations of Jesus to us. God is a good father, and he's calling his children back to himself. One of my favorite stories in the Bible is actually, a, it's in Luke 15. It's, it's often called the parable of the prodigal son. And it's a story about a man with two sons. And, and one of these sons, the younger son, comes to the father and he says, I want my inheritance right now. Right? Inheritance usually comes when a father dies, right? And this son is like, basically saying, I wish you were dead because I just want your money. I don't want you. Right? I think this is a common, a common heart we have towards God. Right? Jesus, in sharing this parable, is revealing something about the human heart. Right? We often want what God has, but we don't want God himself. And, and so the son asks, and the father, the one, it's, this is also crazy, the father gives the kid his request. So he sells a bunch of his land at great cost to himself, and he, and he gives the kid his inheritance early. And, and this, this kid goes off, and, he, and the son goes off, and he squanders it, and he wastes it doing what? He, he wastes it doing what he wants because it doesn't hurt anyone else. And he finds himself, after a short time, it says that runs out. That logic goes empty, and he ends up poor and, and with no money, and, and he becomes a servant. And it, it talks about how he's serving, and he's feeding some pigs, and he's looking at the food the pigs are eating, and he's hungry for it. And, he's, and he thinks, oh, you know what? I've messed up. But I know my, my dad treats his servants better than this. And so he, he literally comes up. He, 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 he's like, okay, this is what I'm going to say. His heart, he, he actually is repentant in his heart. He's like, I'm going to go back. I'm going to apologize. I'm going to tell, and I'm just going to say, Dad, just, just accept me as a servant. And that's, that's it. And, and, and this is where the parable picks up in Luke 15, 20 through 30. So he, start, he, he, he decides this in his heart. It's going to come up on the screen with us here. And, and he, he starts his way back towards his father. And this is what it says. It says, but while he was still a long way off. Don't miss that. He's a long way off. He's not close he hasn't, he hasn't like, you know, given the apology. He's a long way off. His father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And then the son, he, he starts to give his apology. He starts to, he starts to do the, the law, right? He's like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make this right. I'm going to do, and actually repentance is good. Apologies are good. Speaking this stuff is good, Right? He says, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. He actually rightly recognized his position. He rightly recognized, like, I don't deserve your love. I don't even deserve to be called your son. 
Right? What's the father do? And actually, here's the funny thing. You read before in Luke 15, his apology, what he was going to say was way longer than what, like the father cuts him off halfway through. It's like he sees the heart is real. And it, like, I think this is so, like sometimes I think our genuine heart is like, God, I want to come to you. And we're like, but I got to make sure I get it exactly right. And it's like, you know, God just wants hearts that say, I'm ready to submit to you. And that's what's happening here. And so the son gets cut off and, and the father, uh, it says, he said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe. This kid was like eating out of a pig trough. He's dirty, he's nasty. He's like, get the best robe. Get the best we've got. And put it on him. And put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. And bring the fattened calf and kill it. And let us eat and celebrate. And I just love, I love this story. I love this part of the story. And this is a radical picture as God, of God as a loving father. Right? This is starkly different from how many people in Jesus' day perceived God. He told this parable right in front of a bunch of Pharisees, by the way. So it's like radical. This, the Luke 15 starts off with the Pharisees coming to him and say, you eat with tax collectors and sinners. And then Jesus tells these parables of lost sheep and lost coins and then this lost son who comes back. And it's like the point of the story is like, this is your God. He is a father who loves and, and it's just, it's, it's incredible. Like, this is the God that you are praying to when you pray. This is the Father. Like, I think so often we see this picture of a crotchety old man who's like, get off my lawn, right? Like, fought, like, got a big set of rules, and it, this, you got to do all these things to come to me. And it's like, man, here's what God's looking at. He's looking for hearts that are submitted to him. He's looking for faith. He's looking for those who say, I don't have it. I messed up. I don't have anything to bring. I've been eating out of a pig trough and I'm dirty and I'm messed up. And it's like, he's not like, okay, hit the showers and then come into the house. It's like, get the best I've got and let's cover your shame, right? Let's sacrifice, let's just, let's, and we're gonna celebrate because my son has returned, my daughter has returned. This is the God that you are praying to. And I just, some of you need to hear that today. You need to hear that this is the God. When you, that he, hear, he is God, your father, and you come to him empty-handed, and he lavishes his grace upon you. Ephesians 1 says that. Like, this is, this is, this is a scripture of the love of God. These words that came this morning. The, the, the grace of God is lavished upon you. He radically pours it out on us. I love this so much. This is rare love. This is not, I want to point out, this is not human nature. This is not the way the law will serve you. This is not the way the elementary principles of the world. Those are, not, uh, those are not a father. Those are cold, distant guardians. These are paid hands that fail to do what they're supposed to do and ultimately lead to enslavement, right? They lead to poverty, like this, this son who ends up totally poor. Right? This is, again, this is, this is rare love. This dad in this analogy, this parable, is, is representing God the Father. And he took a great loss when his son asked for an inheritance, a financial loss. But not just a financial loss, a social loss. I mean, how shameful. Like, people coming around, hey, where's your son? Oh, he wishes I was dead, and he asked for his inheritance early, so I gave it to him. Right? It's like, it's, it's like, a so, it's like man, that's a pride loss, too. It's like, it's like you look bad. I'll tell you this. A lot of times being faithful to Jesus, you will look bad. But man, we will, it's like we look bad to love faithfully. So like that's, like I've just learned that over my years as a Christian. It's like, so it's like sometimes you look bad while you're faithfully walking with God. His father looked bad, right? And the worst thing of all, it wasn't the financial loss. It wasn't the social loss. It wasn't the pride loss. The worst of all was the loss and rejection of his own son. This father had great loss. And yet he runs to embrace the son 
covering the son's shame with his robe and sacrificing more, right? He, he adds more costs, right? That is the God of the Bible, lavishing his grace. Like there's, it's not deserved and he just pours it out. He just pours it out and you just come to him empty-handed. You come to him with submitted hearts and he just loves to pour out his love to you. And it is the love of the Father that transforms our lives, that changes us, that makes us new. It's not our effort, it's not our qualification. It wasn't like the son came back and it's like, you know, I'm really, I can really add a lot. He came with nothing. And the God, or, and, the, and the father lavished out his love. And I just want to tell you this. When a son or daughter returns to God, maybe you're here today, you know, maybe you're watching this at home and you're like, I feel God calling me back. I just want you to know. You come with an empty heart and you, you just say, God, I'm here he, he, he celebrates and he covers you. And it's, 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 the Bible says that heaven rejoices, right, when, when someone comes back to God. Someone comes back into God's good grace. <clears throat> this Galatians 4 passage, it goes on and it, it says, that we, I, I mentioned this earlier, it says, because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts crying, Abba, Father. And I learned this recently about this. You, you may not notice this, but the, the, the letter to the Galatians would have been written in Greek. It would have been written in Greek. And, and, and actually, the Bible, there's a few times in the Bible where this, this, is sort of, uh, this phrase is kind of written out like this, where it says Abba, and then it says Father. Well, Abba is the Aramaic word for, uh, for Father. And so it's basically saying Father twice. And you're like, well, why does it say Abba Father. Well, this, there's this really interesting thing that's happening here. I mean, Paul, what he's writing, he's like sort of modeling what he's writing in the writing. He's saying the spirit of the son is now in you, uh, crying out, Abba, Father. When Jesus is teaching us how to pray and he's, he's speaking to the disciples and he's, or he's praying, he would have been praying in Aramaic. And so he literally would have been using the word Abba. Right? And so in the middle of this Greek letter, Paul is like, here's the actual word Jesus would have prayed in Aramaic, Abba. And he's writing in and he's saying, that word is now in your heart. That voice is now in your heart. The very voice of Jesus, the very word Jesus would have used to pray. It's like, it's, it's, it's showing you that this is personal and this is real. Right? When it says that you're now an heir, it's saying you have now been made like Christ. Right? A true son or daughter. You're not a second class son or daughter. You're a true, like that's what this is saying. Saying you are a true son or daughter. If like you hear that voice, you know, in the back of your head, like no way. Yes way. Like Abba, Father. That is seeing out in your heart because of Jesus. And this is, this is good news. Like you think about the sum total of this, just the good, wonderful grace of God. And I know this. I know that you know what it's like to bow down to cold, impersonal law and sets of rules and standards, right? That's actually, I think that's actually more the way of the world. It's often disguised as this is the life that will lead you to the most life, but often it's cold, it's harsh, it's demanding, one of my favorite writers, Tim Keller, he talks about how the modern ethic is, is this, this self, like just this worship of the self. And it's like everything has to come through. And you feel this. I know you feel this. You get on, you get on Facebook, you get on the internet, right? you, wherever you go, and everything comes at you. And you alone are the arbiter of truth. I have to decide what's right. What's the right exact thing to say? What's, what's, what's real purpose in life? What is the exact perfect decision to make? Should I get into a fitness plan? Is what, like everything. Like you gotta have a perfect body, a perfect mind. You gotta do everything perfectly. And it's insanely legalistic for a secularist world that we live in. And people are being crushed and depressed. And in the meanwhile, because the self is at the center, right? Because the promise at the end, the reward is at the end is that you will get to do what you want and that's really where the true joy of life comes from, being selfish. That's what the world tells us. 
Like the greatest thing ever is for you just, what's the closest desire in your heart? Just live it out. So people will give their lives. They will die, uh, you know, get crushed by this legalism so that they can, they can ultimately say, I get to do what I want. I've earned that right. It's just legalism in disguise. It's legalism disguised as freedom. It's legalism disguised as personal autonomy, personal sovereignty. But it enslaves. It enslaves. And, and, and this, is, this is the weight. This is what Paul is trying to say. This is what he's trying to say here. Something incredibly simple and beautiful about this message, about this Luke 15 story. The son just turns and comes back to the father. Like, I'm, it is that, guys, don't, don't be fooled. It is that easy. It is not hard to come to God. I'm going to tell you, there is something that is hard. And it's rare in our world. And that is staying the course, persevering, not turning back to those idols, not turning back to the elementary principles of the world. And Paul, he recognizes this. He recognizes this. I'm going to read here in a second, Galatians 4, 8, 9, the immediate preceding passages or verses after what we read about the spirit of Christ crying out, Abba, Father, in us. But I just, what I've realized as I've gotten older is that the difficult thing is persevering. It's, it's, it's faithfulness. You know, we're hearing this morning, you know, 56 years of marriage. Like that is beautiful. That is beautiful. One time uh, about uh, eight years ago, nine years ago, I had this girl come to me and, and she, was, she was not a Christian, but she was coming to church. Her parents were having her come to church and she had been living with her boyfriend for like five years and, uh, and they get married. They get married. And so she's like trying to appease her dad and sort of be like, look, we did it. Everything's the same. And so I remember I was at church on Sunday and I'm, I'm the pastor of the church. So I'm just sitting down, you know, talking to her. And I said, I said, hey, I go, you got married. This is great. And she just looks at me like, yeah, nothing's different. Still the same, like, I'm right, I'm proving it right. And, and I just looked at her and I said, you know, it's funny, because here's the thing. A marriage isn't decided by the first day, it's decided by the last. Like, the quality of your marriage is not determined by the first day. The commitment is easy to say you're going to do, but the commitment is a lifetime of faithfulness. It's not the first day, it's the last day. And, and here's the thing, and I'm not, I don't want you to get fooled and think, oh, now we're, t- we're, we're saying you come to Jesus and then it's legalism, it's hard work that gets us in. No, 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 it's just continually coming back to the grace that is lavished upon you at the beginning. Like, that's what it is. It isn't like, okay, now I gotta white knuckle it and I gotta tough this out for 45 years, you know, or 80 years. Like, no, 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 it's remember who he is. You know, Hebrews 12 says, you know, run the race, and it says, fixing your eyes on Jesus Right, that's it. It says, cast aside every weight and sin that clings so closely. It doesn't say, take those sins and, you know, tough them out. It says, no, cast those things aside while you fix your eyes on Jesus and you run the race set before you. You want to know how you endure well? You fix your eyes on Jesus and you say, I remember the grace you lavished upon me in the first day and I need that grace lavished upon me every day and he will pour it on you and you will live. And that, that's, how you, that's where you get strength to endure not from toughness, but from the love of Christ. Galatians tells us, having begun with the grace of God, are we now being perfected by works? No, never. That's not the way of Christ. That's not the way. We are sons and daughters. Think about my son coming to me, help with the coffee. It's like, man, it's not, he's not there by his own merit. I'm not like, well, man, you failed. It's been three weeks and you still stink at this. You know, like, (laughs) we're done making coffee together, Lincoln. Get out of here. Like, that's not, it wasn't, it didn't start because he was good at it. It was, he's there because I love him. And he's going to stay there because I love him. And that's God to you. You're not there because you're good. You're there because he loves you. 
because he's lavished his grace upon you and because you said, I'm here for you. I'm, I'm going to empty myself and come to you. And I think this is helpful to know. But yeah, Paul recognizes the difficulty of persevering. Here's what he says in Galatians 4. He says, formerly when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those who by nature are not gods. They will claim to have authority. They will claim to be gods. They will claim to give freedom. But they by nature are not gods. He says, but now you've come to know God or rather be known by God. Ooh, love it. How can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world whose slaves you want to be once more? Right, there's something convincing and powerful about the elementary principles of the world. I'll tell you what it is. You want to know the real secret? They seem logical in like the immediate short term. Right, it's really easy. Human thinking is really easy short, in the short-sighted. We're really good at short-sighted thinking. We're really good at being convinced people's lives can be shipwrecked because of short-sighted thinking. And the gospel is all about this. It's like enduring to the end. It's like looking ahead. The Bible talks about like keeping our minds focused on eternity. Colossians 3 says, your life is hidden with Christ. Right? It's like if you keep your mind focused on things that are above, not on things that are the earth. It's like that steadies you, that grounds you, that roots you in Christ. But the world is all about the short-term thinking. And so these Galatians, they came from being held captive by this legalistic or, uh, you know, way of life uh, or this, this, this elementary principles and, uh, of the world. And, but now they're in Christ, but he recognizes that they're prone to falling back uh, into their old way. And I, I, again, this same temptation, it constantly assails us. I know this, like God knows this. There's this, this thing called spiritual drift where we kind of drift into old habits. And, and I don't, there's a lot of ways to guard yourself. I want to talk about one today that I think is really relevant to uh, our topic. And here's, here's I'm going to read you a passage from 1 Corinthians 4 because I think this is very, just important for us to know, important for you to know. Because you, you do have God, the Father, in your life lavishing and pouring out grace to you. But God loves you enough to give you even more than that. And this is 1 Corinthians 4. It says, uh, 15 to 16, it says, For though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. I urge you then, be imitators of me. You and I, we live in a land of guides and gurus. There is a podcast, a YouTube for every skill, everything you could possibly want on the planet. And you can find a million preachers that will tell you you're right and can justify you, but you can find very few that will be a spiritual father. You can find very few women out there who can be spiritual mothers. Right? This implies real relationship. And I love this, right? We live in this land where there's so many guides but there's very few spiritual mothers. There's very few spiritual fathers. And guides are a dime a dozen. They're actually cheaper than that in our day. They're basically free because you can find them anywhere. You just got to listen to a couple of ads. Uh, and so if you, if you need to like build a website, I know a couple places. No, I'm just kidding. This sermon was sponsored by, no, uh, the Holy Spirit. Uh, we feel you so you don't have to. Uh, sorry about that. I am a dad. I do have dad jokes. Uh, but here's the idea. Like, guys, you were made for a family, first and foremost, to God the Father. But more than that, like, you are added. You're not alone in this. It's like you're not, like, the only child to God the Father. You are part of a family with children that span every race, every culture, every generation. Through time itself, you are part of a massive, wonderful, beautiful family of God that one day will be represented by every tribe, every tongue, worshiping the name of Jesus together. And you should feel so blessed to be a part of Confluence because we get to taste that. We have conferences. You get to taste that. Like, I get to taste that now. Like, I'm here with a church that I don't normally go to, and it's family. And I love it. I know many people here, and I love them dearly. And I love getting to know new people 
You were meant to be a part of a family, not just on your own, not with just God. You know how many Christians live their lives with no, fa- no spiritual family near them because they've been hurt by the church? They've been hurt by somebody or they just know the cost of like, they don't want the discipline. They don't want somebody to, to be a father. Right? Having a father is hard. Having a guide that just tells you what you want to hear or you shut it off and you find a different guide, that's easy. That's easy. But that's not Christianity. Right? At the core of our lives, we have the spirit of God in us crying, Abba, Father, and you have been adopted into a family as a true son and a true daughter and you need You need spiritual fathers and spiritual mothers that you are submitted to. And let me just say, I'm blessed out of my mind to have a lot of spiritual fathers and mothers, and I'm incredibly thankful that I am submitted to them. I do not know when or how Satan convinced us that submission is bad, but that is a demonic lie. I can tell you as an elder of my church, I am a submitted man, and I am so thankful. You know how freeing it is to be able to say, it's not all on me. And I can go and lay my heart and I can say, this is, this is what I'm challenged with. This is what I'm, can you search my heart, oh God? Hey, Brian Mowry, can you search my heart? You know, uh, you know my elder team, can you search my heart? Like, I just, I need, I, I, it, is a, it is the grace of God to be a submitted person. Who thinks they can carry all this weight on their own? How prideful we gotta be. Submission is not a four-letter word. I mean, it's a beautiful, wonderful thing. Even Christ submitted himself to God the Father's call to his life. I, and I just think it's grace. It's like not even something we gotta like wrestle ourselves. You shouldn't have to wrestle yourself into submission. Don't be fooled, right? That's ironic too, right? Because people are like, it's too aggressive. It's like, I gotta wrestle myself. You know, it's like, here's the thing. Like, it is such a good gift, such a good gift. When we're left to our own, we're vulnerable. And I think the last couple of years has revealed that. You've seen it. I know you've seen it. And this is a call, guys. We are a family. Don't like take steps in. And God's ultimate call is not just to leave you as a son or daughter, but grow you into a spiritual mother, a spiritual father, right? Loving others, seeking others, and following in the example of your heavenly father, right? Who lavishes his love upon us. I love it so much. This is good to us, good for us. So here's the thing. It, it, I, the, the band can go ahead and come. I just want to just give you guys a little bit of instruction, just like some ways you can think about this. Uh, some of you are here today, and, and here's the thing, you're like the son in Luke 15, where you, you, are, you feel like, man, I've, I've, ruined, I've blown it. I rejected him. I ran off, and I was like, okay, I've got to get it all right. I've got to get my apology just right. I've got to repent just right. And here's the thing, God is saying, he sees you. I want you to know this. He sees you from far off, and he is running, and he's saying, come to me, and he's ready. As soon as, you, as soon as you're ready to turn to him and say, God, I've, I, I, I don't have it. I failed. I'm sinful. I'm broken. I've rejected you, but I want you. He, as soon as that, like, it's like he'll cut you off in the middle of that, and he'll say, here, take the best robe. I let, come into the kingdom, and let the Father's lavish love, his lavish grace transform you and change you, because it is powerful. I mean, I've seen it. It, 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 will, it will change your life. Some of you are here today, and that's where you're at. And Some of you are here today, and you have a family wound. Sometimes that's biological. Sometimes that's spiritual, like you, 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 maybe you have a, spiritual or a biological wound with parents who were unloving, uncaring, and that's made it difficult to submit yourself or to find any kind of authority, even good authority, uh, something that you want in your life, right? And, and then, you know, others of you, you've been to churches where you've been hurt, you've been burned, and I just, I would just say, I think this morning God wants to mend those hearts, God wants to heal those hearts, and, uh, and I think for all of us here today, just something that, that we can really run with is, is this idea of saying, you know what, I, I am gonna, I'm gonna take steps in 
And like, I, you know, some of you, it's like, you, you've been thinking about going to a community group. You've been thinking about getting into discipleship. You've been thinking about going to coffee with that person. And I would just say, go for it, do it, set it up, put it on your calendar, right? And, and just say, I'm gonna, I'm gonna be a part of this family. I'm not gonna sit on the edge. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna try to be the only child in the house of God, but I'm gonna be a part of this family. God will raise you up. God will help you grow into a big brother, a big sister, and hopefully eventually into a spiritual mother and a spiritual father. I'm gonna pray for us here. Heavenly Father, I do just ask that you would bless this church. Lord, I'm so thankful to be a part of this family. And I do, I just ask this morning that your amazing love would just be lavished upon hearts here. For those who feel not worthy, those who feel like they've rejected you and and they've cost you so much and there's just no way you could welcome them back in as a son or daughter, just a servant, just just to clean, you know, the lowliest position in your house. Lord, I just pray you'd look at him and say, no, I, through Christ, I have, I have won you. I've purchased you back. You are now my son or daughter. Lord, I just pray that you'd heal those hearts. And I pray for those who, who have a wound, God, from a spiritual father or mother, God, from a biological father or mother, you begin to mend that, Lord, and, and you would just, God, your church, your family, it's meant to heal, God, it's meant to heal us. And I just pray for that spiritual healing and relational healing, God, and it wouldn't keep them far off from this place and from your life. God, that's where we find our true healing. So I just pray you bless this church and help us, God, walk with us together and deepen our relationships and our love for you. In your name we pray, amen.